Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today to take your calls and texts live on the air. We want to say welcome to all of those of you listening in Colorado and Wyoming on Grace FM. Glad you tuned in today. I also want to say hello to everyone listening on the East Coast on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland. Welcome to the program. And we also want to say hello to everyone listening on Truth FM in Tennessee and parts of North Carolina and Kentucky. Also welcome to the program. So glad to have so many uh, syndicated listeners listening in different parts of the country. And we also want to say hello to those of you who listen online on our mobile app and on the website. We get uh, sometimes calls or reports from people who listen in California, Texas, and even overseas. So however you've tuned in today, we're glad that you are tuned in. By the way, if you don't have that mobile app, definitely go get it. it just go into your app store and search Grace FM, and you can pull that up. And then once that's on your phone, you can listen to the radio station live anywhere uh, you are. We just have a guy uh, from our church, a great uh, man, moving to the Pacific Northwest, and he was saying, man, I'm, I don't know what I'm going to do. I want to keep listening to Grace FM. I said, get that app on your phone. You'll be able to listen wherever you're at, anywhere in the country. So I encourage all of you to do that. And also, you can tune in on your web browser. If you're at a computer, if you have one where you're at, just go to gracefm.com, and you can click that button to listen live. So however you've tuned in today, welcome to the program. This is the show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible or things going on in your life, if you'd like advice, or you'd like to know what the Bible says about some particular issue or something going on in your life, we'd love to help you answer those questions. Or if you have a prayer request, give us a call or text us. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. And here at the beginning of the program, as always, one of the best times to call because kind of have a lull right at the beginning of the show, and then by the end of the show, we tend to have the lines all full. So if you'd like to get on, I encourage you to give us a call towards the beginning of the show. The number to call again, 303 
through his sovereignty, his providence, and his power. And it was just a great and encouraging message from Pastor Ed. This coming Sunday, we're going to be back in our regular study, which is the study of Romans. And really looking, I'm really looking forward to this study that we have coming up this coming Sunday. It's all about how adoption is a picture of the gospel. And my wife and I, we adopted. Let's see now, it was um, about seven years ago we adopted. And so... Uh, we got to be part of that kind of experience. And we've had lots of friends who've adopted. Maybe some of you out there listening were adopted or, or you've been part of an adoption. You know exactly how beautiful it is. And the Bible uses that as a picture of what the gospel means for us, that the adoption, that it was planned, that it was intentional, that we were destitute and he saved us, that it wasn't just that he gave us a better family, but that we had no family and we were lost and destitute and hopeless. And he brought us in, clothed us, gave us a new name, a new future, a new inheritance, and made us full-fledged children by adoption. And, um, you know, like John says, behold the love of God that we should be called the children of God. And we, we become his children through adoption. So I am just fired up for this coming Sunday, Romans chapter 8 and adoption. If you are in the Longmont area, we'd love to have you come and visit us. Even if you're in any of the surrounding towns, we have lots of people who drive into Longmont to come to church. So whether you're in Berthoud or Mead, Frederick, Firestone, Decono, that Carbon Valley area, or Erie, Lafayette, Niwot, uh, Lyons, we would love to have you come to visit us and worship with us this Sunday at Whitefields. Our church meets at 10 a.m. in the St. Vrain Memorial Building in downtown Longmont, which is, so we're at 700 Longs Peak Avenue. We're just one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue, right on the northwest corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman Streets. And if you want directions, or you didn't catch what I just said, or you want any of that good information, Check us out online at whitefieldschurch.com. So that's whitefieldschurch.com. Or you can check us out. Just search for us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We're on all the social media sites. And you can also hear me every weekday here on Grace FM. We have a show that airs at 2.30 p.m. and on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. So every weekday at 2.30 p.m. and every Sunday morning at 10 a.m. you can hear our show, which is our sermons cut for the radio. It's called Life in the Field, which is an allusion to the fact that we live our lives on God's mission field and living out God's mission in our lives. So love to hear from you. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Looks like we have full lines right now, so let's go take care of these. Let's go to line one. We have uh, someone in Denver, Colorado. Hi there, welcome to the program. Oh, okay. Well, actually, we're going to go to line two, and I'm going to answer line one off the air. Okay, let's go to Steve in Denver, Colorado. Hey, Steve, welcome to the hey. program. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Uh, I was at church the other day, and uh, somebody brought up the five points of Calvinism. Okay. And uh, for the life of me, I could not remember what they are. Uh the comment was that uh, he believed in four of oh, You're cutting out on Oh, there you but, are, Steve. Yeah, you're cutting out on me a little bit, but go ahead. Sorry, I went under a bridge. Uh, at, at church the other day, I was having a conversation, and they brought up the... Right, five the five points, points of Calvinism, of Calvin and they said they believe Calvinism. four of them. Yeah. yeah. What are the five points of Calvinism? Sure. Okay, so they're, they're, a way to remember them is through the acronym TULIP. So think of Netherlands, you know, so there's a lot of um, 
reformed movement in the Netherlands. And in the Netherlands, they have a lot of tulips. And so tulip is kind of the acronym they use to remember the five points. And here's what they are. Uh, the T stands for total depravity. Number two is the U. So the T, then the U, which is unconditional election. And then there's L is limited atonement. I is irresistible grace. And P is the preservation of the saints. So let me just explain those each of those. Um, one. I think the, the one thing that I would say before I get into these is that the, a lot of people who, um, who disagree with the five points of Calvinism would probably differ in their interpretation or their understanding of what the five points mean. So it's a lot of kind of hair splitting and like a person would um, maybe say, well, you know, Calvinists believe this, but a lot of times if you'd ask Calvinists, they would say, well, that's not exactly what we believe. So I'll just walk you through it and, uh, and we'll try to try to explain what each of these means. So total depravity, what this means is that we are dead in our sins, kind of like Ephesians chapter uh, 2, verse 1, like you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you formerly walked according to the ways of this world. And so um, what that means is that we cannot in our own kind of pull ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and work our way to God. And so one of, one of the ways that sometimes people say, well, I don't believe in total depravity because they would say, well, even bad people, or let's say not, not bad people, let's just say people who are not Christians still do good things, right? Like we've got the United Way and we've got all of these charitable organizations that are run by people who are not Christians. Or let's take people from other religions and they do charitable things. They do nice things. You know, one of the five points of Islam, the five pillars of Islam is charitable giving. And so... Uh, the question somebody might bring up is, well, can you really say that somebody's totally depraved aside from new life in Christ? I mean, don't people who aren't Christians also do nice things and good things? And the answer to that is yes, but here's what total depravity means. It means that even when we do good things, apart from the Spirit of God within us, our purpose or our motive for doing those things is sideways. It's skewed. It's crooked in some way. There's some way in which we are doing those things to be uh, to justify ourselves or to score some points with God or to score some points in other people's eyes. So it's not a truly pure motive aside from the love of God in us. So the second one, unconditional election, means that God chooses us not because of anything that we do. He just chooses us, period, because he wants to. And, and you can see this um, being the picture of election like that we see with Israel. God even tells Israel, uh, they're like, why, why did you choose us? And he's like, well, I didn't choose you because you're smarter or better looking or uh, because you're, you're better than any of the other nations out there. I just chose you. And, uh, and he goes, don't think that you earned my grace. That's the whole thing about grace is that it's not earned. So that's the whole thing with unconditional election. And um, conditional election, on the other hand, m means that God chooses those who choose him, right? And so... Um, the other one, the limited atonement, this tends to be the one that people have the most trouble with. And I myself have trouble with it depending on how it is defined. So let me explain it real quick. Limited atonement basically means that Jesus did not die for everyone who ever lived. It means that Jesus died only for those whom he elected. And the reason why they believe in uh, limited atonement is because they would say that otherwise, you know, if it was really God, you know, if Jesus died for everybody but not everybody's saved then doesn't that mean that jesus's blood was shed in vain 
for those people or that somehow God did not accomplish what he intended to accomplish or somehow God failed uh, in his desire to save people. And, and what's interesting about limited atonement is it actually kind of goes both ways. And so that, that key issue leads to either on the one hand, let's maybe call it the one end of the spectrum, some people believe in limited atonement. On the other end of the spectrum, some people believe in universalism. And it both come from the same fundamental question of if Jesus shed his blood and God wanted to save people through Jesus shedding his blood, and yet not all people are saved, then doesn't that mean that Jesus' blood was somehow ineffective or somehow fell short? And so on the one hand, the way that people deal with that and the answer is by saying, well, no, it wasn't, and therefore all people will be saved. On the other hand, people answer it, and this would be uh, Calvinists in this case, it would answer it in this way. They would say, no, it wasn't ineffective. In fact, Jesus only died for those uh, who were predestined or who were elect. And so the one verse that a lot of people bring up on this point where they really disagree with this is 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. And here's what it says. It says, he is, that's Jesus, he is the propitiation for our sins and not for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And this is really uh, the point where, you know, a lot of people who don't agree with the idea of limited atonement. So if somebody says they're a four-point Calvinist, usually that means that they disagree with the concept of limited atonement. And, um, and they go to this verse usually, 1 John 2, 2. And they would ask the five-point Calvinist, you know, how do you deal with this verse? And the five-point Calvinist would respond usually by saying, well, when it says the whole world, it doesn't mean the whole world as in the whole world. What it really means is the whole world of the elect. And in that case, you know, it, it really gets to a point of like, are you literally saying that when it says the whole world, it doesn't actually mean the whole world? And, um, and that's really kind of the sticking point. But I think there's another way that this is defined, which is a little bit more, um, I think, I would say biblical, you might say palatable, but it is with this phrase, they explain limited atonement by saying that Jesus' blood was sufficient for all, but effective only for the elect, if that makes sense. So that, that's a lot more palatable in that way. And, and I think that you avoid the problem of the First John 2.2 part. Uh, the other one is irresistible grace. So that's the I in the tulip is irresistible grace. And what that means is that if God chooses you, um, you will not be able to resist the grace of God. Like if he is drawing you, you will not be able to resist. You will. In other words, if God has chosen you, you will choose him. And uh, the P stands for preservation of saints. This is sometimes uh, called, you know, once saved, always saved. I don't really think that's a, like we talked about this on the show last week. I don't really think that's a good phrase. But the idea that God holds on to those um, who were, who were, um, who have been saved? That God preserves His people so that they will not be lost. And the key verse for this is John ten verse twenty eight, where it says, uh, "Jesus says, I give my sheep eternal life, and they will never perish; neither shall anyone pluck them out of my hand." So there you go. There's the the five points, the tulip. Just remember that acronym. Still with me, Steve? I must have lost you. Anyway, Steve, thank you for your call and. Uh, 
love to discuss it with you uh, if in further if you want to call back. So God bless you. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. Taking your calls and texts today, the number to call is 303-690-3000. or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to Mike in Westminster, Colorado. Hi, Hi Mike. Pastor. Thanks for taking my call today. Yeah, absolutely. What's up? Um, I just wanted to ask for a prayer request. Um, my uh, little brother, little sister, and my mom and her fiancé, they all live with me, and um, I'm the only person in our household that has a relationship with God, and sometimes it's kind of hard because, you know, I balance out being like a landlord and a brother and a son along with my primary goal of being an ambassador of Christ to them, and they're just all going through a really hard time financially right now, and they're kind of looking to me for guidance and leadership, and I just want to pray for God's wisdom and also that, you know, He'd be reaching out to them in grace and and leading them to him, and then I'm not getting in the way of that, that I'm a positive influence in that in that goal. Yeah, absolutely, Mike. I'd love to pray for you for that. Let's do that. Heavenly Father, pray for Mike. I thank you for your work in his life, the Lord, that you've given him new life and that you've given him this this uh, position in his family where others look to him and they know that he's a believer and they look to him for leadership. And so, Lord, I pray that he would be a good leader. I pray that he would reflect you well and that everything he does, it would cause people to move towards you and that he wouldn't do things that cause uh, them to stumble or for them to fall away from you. So, Lord, I pray that you would help him as a leader, not only to lead well as far as like management and finances and all that stuff, but, Lord, to lead well spiritually, to have the wisdom like Solomon had and to be able to lead people towards Jesus so that he would be a light, that he would be salt in that house. I pray that his words would be with grace, that they would be seasoned with salt. And Lord, I pray that you would bless him and lead him in that way. And I pray specifically, Lord, for his family members, that they would come to know you and that they would be saved. And I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Pastor. I appreciate it. Absolutely. God bless you. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call, 303-690-3000. or text us, 720-336-0897. Let's go to Helen in Aurora, Colorado. Hi, Helen. Hi, Pastor. What's up? So I had a question. Okay. Like the beginning of 16. So I was reading when Paul was telling um, pretty much us that we don't need to be circumcised because we've received salvation through the Holy Spirit and through faith. Um, but then he goes on and he tells Timothy that he needs to be circumcised. Um, yeah. And it's kind of like a you need to be circumcised. So my question is why, after saying that we don't have to be circumcised, he tells Timothy that he needs to be circumcised? Yeah, that's a great question, and it, it really gets to um, it, a point where some people actually look at this and they they view it as a failure on Paul's part. Like they actually think that Paul was compromising here. And um, and here's the issue. Now, if you read the text, I, I got it pulled up right in front of me. Acts 16. I'll start in verse one. It says this: Paul came to Derby and to Lystra. There was a disciple there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman. That's the key right there: son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium, 
Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. Okay, so this is the issue that you know that in Judaism is really different in some ways than other um, traditions in the sense that, or, you know, uh, what do you call it, Old Testament, or I'm sorry, ancient traditions or ancient cultures in this way. Now, a lot of the ancient cultures, you know, they practice the patra familia, which means, you know, the father is the head of the household. But in Jewish culture, interesting thing was that they consider the mother to be kind of the matriarch. The father's still the head of the household, but Judaism is passed down through the mother as opposed to the father primarily. Okay. And so, like, if your mom was Jewish, then you're considered Jewish. If your dad was Jewish, but your mom wasn't Jewish, then you're not necessarily Jewish. And so um, that was a really important point. And see, that's why it mentions two times in those three verses that his mom was Jewish. His mom was Jewish. So that's the key. And, and here's really the big issue. Paul doesn't want to make an unnecessary controversy. And I think that's a really important point for us in our day because we live in a time where as you know, like with social media and all this stuff, everybody's always upset about everything, right? It's like people are like waiting for something to get like all fired up and uh, argue about. And and I don't think that human nature has really changed that much. Like obviously it was the case at that time as well. We see plenty of riots in the book of Acts. And so um, Paul's like, look, I'm going to take this guy with me. Um, he hasn't been circumcised, but his mom's Jewish and this is going to be an issue because as they go on their mission, he knows that they're going to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. And he knows that the Jewish people, if they find out that this guy's not circumcised, that's going to be a, a stumbling point for them. And, you know, that's kind of the point is like meeting people where they're at. And, and so he's doing this for a purpose of mission, not for a purpose of justification before God. And I think that makes all the difference in the world. So, like, if you are doing something, like Paul says, I will become all things to all men. To the Jew, I'm like a Jew. To the Greek, I'm like a Greek. I'll become all things to all people so that by all means, I might save some. And so for Paul, it was like, hey, why don't we just do this? We're, we know that we're not doing this uh, in order to make you right before God. Um, but you know what? We're going to do it so that we just remove any kind of hindrance or stumbling block or anything that would cause an issue so that people don't listen to the message, which is what we really want them to hear. And I think that's a really good point. Like I, I, I personally think like in our day and my, my personal ministry and stuff, I've found this to be the case like with politics. Like I want to be known only for the controversy of the gospel. And so um, I remember when I, when I first became a missionary. So I was a missionary. I moved to Hungary when I was almost 19 years old and I was there for 10 years. And uh, when I moved over there, you know, I, I was 18. And one of the things I was really excited about when I turned 18 was I could finally buy cigarettes. I know this sounds really dumb, right? But this is <laughs> what I looked forward to. Sweet, I'm 18. Now I can buy cigarettes. And I kind of prided myself on being that guy who stood out in front of the church and smoked cigarettes uh, after service because I thought, you know, I'm so not legalistic that I can smoke cigarettes and be free and all that. But when I moved to Hungary, I, I realized really fast that, wow, this is going to be an issue, not because it has to be an issue, but because for some people, they're going to find it confusing. It's not going to help me 
to reach my goal of ministering to these people. It's just going to be a hang-up. Like, it's going to be something that, that gets in the way of people hearing what I really want to tell them or seeing what I really want to show them. So I, I gave it up. And I, I think it's kind of like the same thing. Did I have to so that God would love me and accept me and bless me? No. But did I do it for the sake of the mission of God? Absolutely. And, and so I think there are a lot of applications to our lives as to areas where we can do that too. Oh, okay. Well, thank you, Pastor, because I, I was reading that, and I was kind of like, what? You just, dude, you contradict yourself, but it makes sense now yeah. that I could explain in a bigger picture. Totally. And you know what? There were times where Paul did make an issue of people doing that kind of stuff. Like a great example of this is in Galatians chapter 2, where he calls out the apostle Peter, and he's like, hey, what are you doing sitting with the uh, Jews and shunning the Gentiles? So that's the time when he calls somebody out on legalism. But here in this case, it's about the mission, and he's willing to set aside his freedom for the sake of the mission. Okay. <laughs> Thank you, Pastor. All righty. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you, you too. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call, 303-690-3000. It's 303-690-3000. Looks like we've got one open line, and we're coming up on our mid-show break. But before that, let's go to Leslie in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Leslie. Hi, how are you? Doing well. What's up? Um, I have two quick questions. Um, so my first question is, I, I recently I saw a video, um, just a video clip of a, of a part of a sermon from a church, and it was, um, I guess it's not really important what the sermon was about. It seemed biblical. It was just basically praying for President Trump and how um, this guy kind of prophesied that he was going to come under attack, and he, he kind of, he felt like God had spoke to him and, and told him that, you know, which I don't think is untrue, but that um, we needed to pray for President Trump. So they started praying, and it must have been like an um, Episcopalian church. They were, um, just the style seemed that way, and they started praying, and the whole church started praying out loud. And while everybody was praying, the pastor was praying, and then he would, I'm assuming, speak in tongues. It was a language that I have, that I couldn't, that I didn't know what language it was, but it was Every so often he would speak in tongues, and then he would go back to praying. Um, and my question is, I, I'm kind of concerned about, about tongues in general, because growing up, um, I went to a Methodist church, and there were a couple of times where people would speak in tongues, and I, I feel like my father was one of them, and I was too young to ever understand it, and I honestly have never really talked to him about it. But um, and from what I've read, there always should be an interpretation of tongues, and I feel like I've been in lots of circumstances where that hasn't been. So then I wonder, is this real or is it is it not real? Yeah. No, that's a great question. I um, I did a lot of work on, on this in seminary, like um, a lot of research on this, so I can hopefully give you a little bit of help. So there are a few key passages that I would want you to look at. There are three of them. So if you can write these down or just remember them, the, the most important one is 1 Corinthians chapter 14, the whole chapter, basically. 1 Corinthians 14, then um, also Acts chapter 2, and then there's a verse in Romans chapter 8. So Acts 2, Romans 8, and 1 Corinthians 14. And 1 Corinthians 14 is specifically about two different gifts that were, you know, he talks in chapter 12 about the list of all the different spiritual gifts. Then in 13, he talks about the 
the primacy or the, the importance of love above all of the gifts. And then in chapter 14, he dials down on two of the gifts. And the two that he dials down on are prophecy and tongues. And sometimes these are called the sign gifts along with healing. So healing, prophecy, and tongues are called the sign gifts. And um, so in Acts 2, here's what we see is we see people, they are uh, praying and they're praising God and they begin praising God in languages which are understood by people who are standing around who have come from all different countries of the world for this special festival. Then we see in Romans chapter 8, Paul talks about how when we don't know the words to use when we pray, the Spirit intercedes for us on our behalf in words which are unintelligible. So at that point, we're no longer talking about a foreign language. We're talking about uh, what Paul would call in 1 Corinthians 13, the tongues of men, so that's known languages, and the tongues of angels, which is uh, not known languages. I'm going to tell you more about this when we come back uh, right after a break. We're going to go to a two-minute break, so please hold with me. You've been listening to Calvary Live. We'll be back in two minutes' time. Uh, stick with us, and we'll see you in just a little bit. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon and welcome back to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Once again, 720-336-0897 is the text line. And uh, right before we go back to our calls, I want to just uh, take the opportunity to invite you. Uh, if you are listening in the Longmont, Colorado area or surrounding towns, or if you have friends or family who live in Longmont and you'd love to introduce them to a church, I just want to personally invite you to uh, join us at, at, for worship at our church, the church that I'm the pastor of in, White, uh, in Longmont, Colorado, which is called Whitefields Community Church. We meet at 700 Longs Peak Avenue in downtown Longmont at the St. Vrain Memorial Building. So 700 Longs Peak Avenue. We're one block west of Main Street on Longs Peak Avenue on the northwest corner of Longs Peak and Kaufman. So if you want directions, you want to listen to any of our messages or, or find out about our staff and, and stuff going on at our church, check us out online at whitefieldschurch.com. That's whitefieldschurch.com. There's a lot of really exciting stuff that we're uh a part of at Whitefields that God's doing in our church right now. We, we just started a young adults group. So if you're a young adult in the Longmont area, we'd love to help you get plugged in with some other young adults who are seeking the Lord. They gather for worship and, and fellowship and Bible study on Friday nights. And we'd love to plug you into that. Give us a, a, a shout. Give us email at info at whitefieldschurch.com. We'll get you hooked up. So info at whitefieldschurch.com. And uh, also, we're, we're gearing up for community groups and school of ministry in this next, as we get towards September, we're really excited about uh, getting into the, the new rhythm now that everybody's back in school after the summer. So yeah, check us out, whitefieldschurch.com. Come visit with us. We'd love to uh, worship the Lord with you this coming Sunday. Let's go back to our caller. We were talking to 
Uh, I believe it's Leslie in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Leslie. Are you still with us? Yep. Awesome. Thanks for holding on. So I mm -hmm. told you about the first two. So Acts 2, Romans 8, and then there's uh, this whole section in 1 Corinthians 14 where he's talking about how uh, the church should be spiritual and yet orderly. And he says, you know, he says, if it comes down to prophecy versus speaking in tongues, I'd prefer you to prophesy because uh, a person who prophesies, he says, verse 2, one, who's, uh, one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to other people, but speaks to God. For no one understands him. He only utters mysteries in the spirit. On the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. And so what he's doing here is he's saying, hey, look, when you're alone, the, the gift of speaking in tongues is kind of a prayer language which you are able to use with God. And, and the benefit of it is that it overcomes the difficulty that we face with the natural limitations of human language like we've all experienced that right like you want to say something you want to communicate something but you struggle to find the words for it i know i struggle with that all the time uh, like there's an idea or a feeling or a thought or a frustration and you just can't find the words to express it that's where the gift of tongues comes in it's really for praising god and praying to god so you can imagine, like, like think, we only have a few different ways to express praise to God, like with words, right? Like, God, I praise yeah. you, and I really, 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 really praise you. Like, <laughs> isn't there more? And that, so that's where tongues comes in. Now, what he's saying is when you use it in the congregational setting, it's just not helpful. And he says, therefore, if anybody has a tongue, then there must be an interpretation. That's what he says, and that is found in 1 Corinthians 14. And he, he even limits it. He says, look, let there be one or two people max. It's, this is in verse 27. If any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or three, two or at most three, and each in turn, in other words, not all at once, and let someone interpret. If there is no one to interpret, verse 28, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. And there you go. I think it's so clear. And I, I as to why people still don't do that i mean i think that that's so not can you control I, I it or is it are they faking it i do believe that you can control it if it's for real you can control it and the reason is uh -huh. because it says there that the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets in other words okay you're not going to be totally like out of control like you're uh -huh. going to have control over it so yeah and that's verse 32, by the way, of that same chapter. Um, it says, The spirits of prophets are subject to the prophets, for God is not a God of confusion, but a God of peace and order. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. So, so stepping back one, one second, because you raised another question, is that Romans, in Romans 8, I know the verse that you're talking about, and because I think about that verse a lot, mm -hmm. and um, I, I kind of always thought it meant... Rather than like speaking in tongues, I thought it it meant like if you're if if you're going through something, even if you can't voice it, the spirit is going to intercede for you, and the Lord is going to know what's on your heart and mind. Yeah, but that's not what it means. Well, that that very well might be what it means. I I know that there is some you know discussion or controversy, not really controversy, more like you know discussion over what does that mean? Does that is it okay. referring to speaking in, like the spirit praying through you in words and like 
you know, speaking those words so that God and God understands it? Or is it just like, hey, even if you can't voice it, the spirit knows and the spirit is interceding for you? I think I think both of those can be true. So. okay, okay, Yeah, that helps. Um, So this pastor that did it during his prayers, um, if it's real and he can and he can turn it on and off, then technically. Then technically, you think that he should be convicted by it or do you think sometimes they're doing it? for more than, I guess, the reason of speaking to God. Sure. Yeah. You know, I, I you and me, we, we don't want to judge another man's servant, yeah. right? Like we don't want to uh-huh. judge God's servant. And we leave that up t- between him and God. I'll tell you my okay. opinion, though, yeah. um, not knowing this and trying really hard not to be judgmental, yeah. is that there probably is some other motive in him doing that. Probably the motive, let's let's give him the benefit of the doubt. The, the, bene- the motive will be to show other people what it looks like to pray in tongues. Let's hope yeah. that that's the, on the best case scenario. Yeah. So. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. I have um, just one more question off that topic for you. If you have time. Okay. I got one more. Um, so I'm, I'm reading through Ecclesiastes right now and it's the second time I'm reading through it. And I use blue letter Bible to, to go through it. Um, I'm a little bit confused because it perceives that Solomon is, it, it's Solomon in it, but it might be a different writer correct? Yeah, correct. Um, it, so it, it seems to me that Solomon's questioning everything, but he's this man that's full of wisdom. So I'm a little bit confused. Okay, so here's the, the deal I guess with... the purpose of it. Yeah, no, that is a great question. Here's my thing with Ecclesiastes. I feel like more people should ask that question you're asking right now. Because I had these, I had these young guys here in our church, and they were like, we're going to get together and do a Bible study together. And then like, I talk to them next week. Oh, what, Bi- what book of the Bible are you guys studying? They're like, Ecclesiastes. And I'm like, oh, you guys really need to. I'm not sure that's the best book for you guys to be studying as a group setting, especially like a group of guys who you know, are fairly new to the Bible. Just because... Uh, I think here's the deal. In order to understand Ecclesiastes, you have to take the 30,000 foot view of it. You have to zoom way out. Don't get bogged down in the details. And so first of all, understand the book as a whole, then dig down into the details. But you have to keep in mind the, the, the whole purpose of the book. And then in order to even understand the whole purpose of the book, I think you have to do uh, what's sometimes called biblical theology or canonical theology. Sometimes it's called narrative theology. It means that you need to zoom out even from beyond that book and see the purpose of Ecclesiastes in the whole scope of the Bible. Okay, so let me uh-huh. let me give you the book real quick, and then I'll give you the, the scope of the Bible. Number okay. one, the book exists to uh, show this, that here's this man who had everything. You know, because all of us have this tendency in us to say, you know, if I had more money, if I had romance, if I had uh, adventure, then I would be satisfied. And the whole book is, the purpose of the book is to say, hey, here's like the richest guy, richest, smartest guy who ever lived. And he tried literally everything and he found that all of it was vanity. Now, some people are like, well, then what's the point of the book of Ecclesiastes? That seems super depressing. And my point is, it is super depressing and you should embrace that because uh, the book itself is not answered. I don't think the answer to the book is actually found in the book. So some people try to look at the last chapter of Ecclesiastes, the last yeah. couple sentences and say, so this is the end of all things, you know, just uh, serve God and, you know, mind your own business and that's it. And so, yeah. and I just got to tell you, I, I personally don't think that that's it. I don't think that that is even the whole purpose of the book. 
I think that you cannot understand Ecclesiastes unless you understand it in reference to Jesus. Unless you understand that Ecclesiastes is, answer, is bringing up a question and not answering it. Jesus mm-hmm. gives us the answer to Ecclesiastes, not the writer to Ecclesiastes. And so the question is, what can satisfy me? Can anything in this world satisfy me? And he kind of ends by saying, no, nothing in the world can satisfy me. And he kind of leaves it open, like, well, then what can satisfy me? And he almost kind of ends on a, like a, huh, I don't know. Right. And then, then yeah. Jesus comes along and speaks to a woman at a well in John chapter 4 and says, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me to give you living water and I would give it to you and you would drink of it and you will never thirst again. Mm. I am the bread that has come from heaven. And if you eat of this, I will give you the sustenance that will sustain you forever. And so yeah. I think that is the key. You got to understand it in light of Jesus. So I hope okay. that helps. That helps a lot. Do you think it's funny when people quote Ecclesiastes then? Like just one random Bible verse? It depends like what it, they're quoting it for and why. Uh, like the third yeah. chapter is super good. I quoted at funerals, and uh, and I think we should. So uh, okay, so like when it says what God does, He does. It can't be you know it can't be changed. And I think it's in the third chapter that that's something that you can quote because He's wise and He knows that. Yeah. So I just say make sure that whatever you quote from it, you're quoting in context, and you're right. not. Uh, yeah, just quote it in context as to what the writer is actually saying. Not saying, like, eat, be, eat, drink, and be merry, because we'll die tomorrow. <laughs> well, again, so that's one of the things, is that sometimes we have to take the Bible and understand that when it says, eat, drink, and marry for, uh, be merry, for tomorrow we die, there, there is a point in that. And the point in that yeah. is saying, hey, if all we hope in is this life, then, hey, you might as well just eat, drink, and be merry, because tomorrow uh-huh. we die. Like, that's yeah. the point. It's not actually encouraging you to do that. It's just saying that if this is what you believe, then... And this is it. the logical conclusion. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, cool. cool. All right, thanks for your call. God bless yeah, you. Yeah, thank you. Bye. All right, bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. We've got two open lines. The number to call, 303-690-3000. Once again, 303-690-3000. Let's go to Rudy in Denver, Colorado. Hi, Rudy. Welcome Hi. to the program. Well, my question is... But um, it seems like every store that I go to or every corner that I pull up to, there's a homeless person who's obviously drinking or on drugs. And I I refuse to give knowing what, what, they're, you know, what, what they're going to do with the money. How does God see me on doing that, on, on refusing that? Yeah, you know, I've heard people on both sides make really good arguments for both sides. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, I'm going to give you a quick answer, then I'll I'll kind of expand on it. The quick answer is, Rudy, make sure that you're doing it for the right reasons. Okay. Make sure that you're not being stingy. Make sure that you really have a heart to help people and that you want to be generous like God has been generous to you in Christ. Now let me me zoom out and give you kind of the two sides. Okay, the one side is exactly what you're saying. If I give to this person, maybe I'm not helping them. Maybe I'm enabling them to continue in this lifestyle, which is destructive. Um, On the other hand, you have the people who say, look, what they do with it is between them and God. What I do in compassion is between me and God. And so my job is to give, like Luke chapter 6, I think is very convicting Mm -hmm. and uh, very challenging to me. I don't think it necessarily means that you have to give to God. people who you don't believe are going to use it well. But check out this verse and just let it really 
hit you really hard, okay? okay? It says this, um, if you give to those from whom you expect to get back, what credit is that to you? Even sinners give to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies, do good, and give, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. And and so here's the challenge to us is like, Wait, we're called to be merciful and give. I think it's really interesting. He says that you give to the ungrateful. That's the one that always shocks me so much. He literally says, give to the ungrateful. Like give to somebody who's not even going to say thank you to you and expect nothing in return. Not even a thank you, not anything. And, And so that's really challenging. Now, again, that doesn't mean that you have to give to people who you like have it have an ethical conflict with where you're like, if I give to this guy, I'm enabling his addiction. Now instead, but what it means is that here's, and really here's the point. I, this is a heart issue first and foremost, Uh, the heart, the heart issue. Yeah, it is. My father was in a situation and I never gave him nothing but just my love and my, you know, my time and being there with him, knowing that I loved him personally, but he give me some money. No, I'll buy you something to eat. I don't want it. Then, that was hurtful, you know, as well as many other people that, are, that, I, that I confronted with all the time. I'll buy you something to eat. There's two for one bananas at 7-Eleven. No, no, I need the money, man. I'm sick. I'm sick. Or, man, I'm sick. I need the beer. And I yeah. kind of, you know, like, what? You know, yeah, like I used to be ungrateful, but, you know, there's some that I do. There's some that I do. I bought somebody something. He actually took it back. I've seen him taking it right back for the money that broke my heart, but I mean, I kind of walked away with kind of like both sides. How you said I felt good about what I did, kind of a little mad, you know, like this guy has his nerve. How ungrateful. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I ignored it and just walked away thinking, you know, I mean, (laughs) I did something right. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And, and while you're talking, I got a text here that says someone else is writing a related question. They said that they, they had somebody ask for money and they asked them, what are you going to do with this money? And the person responded and said, I'm going to use it to get stoned. And the person texting says, so I didn't end up giving the money to them. Is it okay for me to ask a question like that before I give money? It's very similar to what you're asking. Yeah. And, and, and my answer is, I do think it is okay to do that because that comes from a heart of love, right? A heart of love right. looks and at the does. person who's ruining their life and is in bondage to addiction and says, I'm not going to support your bondage. But here's the thing. You can't use that as an excuse to be stingy and to not give. And that's my whole point. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. There are a lot of ways to give. There are a lot of ways to give. Like like you're saying, make sure that you are generous. So that's the principle. A lot of times the Bible gives us principles rather than instructions and what to do in particular situations. Can we pray for those out there? that are dealing with that and, you know, have those addictions. Yeah, let's go ahead and do that. So, Heavenly Father, we pray for those who are struggling with addiction. We pray for those who are homeless, and we pray for those who are semi-homeless and kind of uh, don't have a a fixed place where they they can call their home. Uh, Lord, we know that they're suffering. We know that they're uh, not happy uh, in the situation that they're in, Lord. And we know that they, they experience a lot of suffering and pain. So, Lord, we pray for them. We ask, Lord, that you would um, 
set them free from their addictions. So we remember what your word says in Romans 6, that you have the power to give us new life and to set us free from the things which hold us in bondage. So Lord, we ask that truly you would break the bonds um, of sin and the bonds of addiction in people's lives who are bound up in those things. Set them free, Lord, by your power. May they experience the resurrection power. And Lord, we also pray for those of us who want to help and are conflicted, not sure uh, how to best help people so that we can really help them and, uh, and point them in the right way and, and help them get out of bondage. Lord, we pray that uh, you'd give us wisdom as we navigate these things, all of us who are listening. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, Pastor. Absolutely. God bless you, Rudy. God bless you, too. We'll see you. All right. Bye-bye. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts on the air today. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. We've got about nine minutes left in the show, so we can probably take about two more calls. Let's go to Pamela in Parker, Colorado. Hi, Pamela. Welcome to the program. Hi, Pastor Nick. Thank you for taking my call. Yeah. Um, I have been uh, in the midst of a bunch of Mormons um, in my neighborhood, and so the last time I studied, it seems like they have changed a lot, brought Jesus into the picture a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, but my question is, uh, in the Bible, does it? I know there's plenty of scripture that says not to add to the book or take away from it, but is there a specific scripture that that the Lord commands not? to add anything to the entire Bible? Yes, Like, there I know is. there's Revelations, and I'm, I don't know if that means the entire book or if just Revelations, but right. yeah, I'm just wondering. Yeah. yeah, I do think it does, but you know what? It's not just verses in the Bible that we need to look at. There, There's mm-hmm. more than that. There's the whole understanding of how the Bible came to be what we call canonized, and okay. then there's the, the really important understanding of why we believe that the canon is closed. And that's really okay. the big issue here. That's now, my question. Yeah, and so uh, it's a very big issue, and I don't know if we have time to go into a lot of detail. But okay. let me give you that verse in the Bible. Uh, okay. Revelation 22, verse 18 says this, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. If anyone takes away from the words of this book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and the holy city which are described in this book. Okay, Clearly, he's talking about the prophecy of this book that he's writing, which is the Revelation. Okay. Um, But with Revelation being the last book of the Bible that was written chronologically, you know, there's a sense in which we can look at that also and say, perhaps this also applies to the rest of the canon of the New Testament. Okay. Now, here's, here's the other thing is that when they were canonizing, you know, let's not call it canonizing, let's say codifying or setting you know what are the books of the bible you know we've had a lot of talks about this on the radio but basically it was a as a process in which these books as they were being written they were immediately being recognized as scripture so it wasn't that time went on and then later on people were like these are super good books let's call them scripture okay. it, they were recognized immediately yeah. peter okay. you know you can see in in first peter peter refers to the writings of paul as scripture Paul, in one place in his writings, actually quotes from the Gospel of Luke. And so these books were being distributed, and they were being, um, around the same time, they were being distributed, and they were being passed in other churches. They were being taught as an apostolic teaching. If you're interested, I, I recently wrote a, an article on my website, 
where right. I kind of write similar questions to what we discussed here on the radio program. Uh, mm -hmm. I write answers. And so my website is nickkady.org, so N-I-C-K-C-A-D-Y.org. And okay. I think it was a, last week I wrote a post called, Did the New Testament Writers Know That They Were Writing Scripture? And, of course, the answer I give is yes, but the reason I, reasons I give are there. And you, I have, I think, four different Bible passages which show that these people understood that they were writing Scripture. Okay, um, awesome. Okay, yeah, and here, but here's the other thing, is that when it came time to discuss at Nicaea, you know, which happened at the time of Constantine. So Constantine came to power in 300, uh, early 300s AD. He came to power, and immediately what he did is he, he said he was a Christian. Now, whether he was or not, that's a matter of dispute. He said he was a mm -hmm. Christian, and he said to all the Christian churches, he started looking around, and he said, you know, there are certain regions where they had uh, certain books not in their Bibles, where other people had certain books in their Bibles. And he said, hey, we got to get you guys all on the same page. Right. So he held this first world council um, of all the bishops in the world were invited, and they all came, and they had some criteria upon which they decided, okay, how do we decide what should be considered canonical or biblical? And, mm -hmm. and, and is the canon still open? was another question. And they said, okay. no, it's not, and here's why. They had to be, number one, apostolic in origin. They had to be recognized uh, in the early church as um, scriptural, and they had to be in complete agreement with all of the other books of the Bible. That's one of the main proofs mm -hmm. that the books of the Bible are divinely inspired, is that they don't contradict. Mm -hmm. okay. and, and so that was the criteria. And so, you know, when it comes to the Book of Mormon, you have a very different story, and, and in many places, contradictory. Mm -hmm. Secondly, it's giving us a different Jesus. That's really, really yes. key. A different Jesus. Yes. Secondly, a different way to be saved. Right. And um, and thirdly, it's giving you a story which has actually been proven by science to not be true, which is uh, basically the Book of Mormon tells the story of how uh, the tribe, uh, the, the ten lost tribes, uh, some of them got on, they rebuilt Noah's Ark, and they mm. got on Noah's Ark, and they took this boat ride through the Mediterranean, th across the Atlantic, and they became the Native American Indians. Now, this has, wow. by science, been proven to be not true. Like, we okay. know that the Native Americans are not from Israel. They are from Eastern Asia. And so, and, and we know that they came across the Bering Strait. And so, I mean, like, those three things should tell us the Book of Mormon cannot be trusted and it is okay. not scripture okay perfect cool god bless you i gotta yeah, let you go thank you all god right bless. bye bye you're listening to calvary live this is pastor nick katie from whitefields community church in longmont colorado i think we've got time for one more call let's go to josh in thornton colorado hi josh hey pastor nick how are you doing great what's up hey uh i just have a quick prayer request i appreciate you um if we can all pray for my little nephew um he Got his uh, finger stuck in the uh, in a bike chain, and he might have oh. to get it amputated. But uh, he's a he's a two year old kid, and it's just the tip of his finger. But I just really believe God can heal it. So I just want to pray with everyone and just uh, get everyone praying. If that would be okay, that'd be awesome. Yes. So you said he's yeah. two years old. Yeah, he's two years old. What's his name? Uh, his name is Valen. Does he say Zalen? Valen. V-A-L-E-N. Oh, gotcha. Cool. Hey, uh, would you mind turning down your radio? We're getting some feedback there. Okay. Yeah, cool. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, we pray for Valen. 
we thank you uh, for his life. We thank you that he has loving people around him who want to pray for him and want to want to ask you to heal him. So, Lord, we just join in that prayer. And we ask, Lord, that you'd hear, heal Valen, heal his finger. Lord, we pray that he would be able to keep his finger and that it wouldn't need to be amputated. Lord, that you just uh, restore all the cells and all the stuff that's in there. Lord, you know how it all works. You created it and you can heal it and make it right. So, Lord, we ask that you would do that. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I appreciate you, sir. You have a great day. You too. God bless you, Josh. You've been listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady. We've got two minutes left in the show. Um, For these two minutes, let me me direct you to something that I was writing right before the show. I, I just wrote a post on my site that I was mentioning to a previous caller, uh, org, And it was about this past weekend, there was a, a young head pastor from a church in Southern California uh, committed suicide. And this has really just broken my heart reading about this and seeing his Instagram feed and his wife's Instagram feed and his church's Instagram feed. And just that from all outward appearances, you know, this guy, it just looked like he was uh, successful and his ministry was successful. God was blessing it. And yet what we see is that he was really struggling with depression for a long time. And it just it just brought uh, broke my heart. You know, he left behind a wife and three sons. And I just want to take this time right now to just encourage you, wherever you're at, to to pray for your pastor. Um, And, you know, people have asked me before, why is it like I see these statistics about pastors, about how there's this really high rate of burnout and how many pastors leave the ministry every year? Why is it what is it about being a pastor that makes it um, so much more difficult than maybe other kinds of work. And I think the answer to that is is found in the the personal aspect of being a pastor, right? It's highly relational. With that comes high highs and low lows. Um, but uh, there's also the spiritual warfare aspect. So wherever you're at today, would you just take a minute and pray for your pastor and, and think of a way to encourage uh, encourage them. You've been listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church. Uh, Thanks for tuning in today. God bless you. You can hear uh, Calvary Live every weekday, 4 to 5 p.m. And I'll be with you again next week. God bless you. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's word.